What is going on, you guys? So in this video, I want to share with you guys actually an entire presentation. It runs about an hour long. This was a presentation done for our academy students done by PPCEN. PPCEN is a channel over in the States that focuses on, on dividend investing, passive income, and financial freedom. And he is one of my favorite. He is actually my favorite YouTube channel out there that I watch. And it's such an honor to have him guest present for our academy students. This presentation in particular stuck out to me. He answered the question and debate as to whether it's better to go for high income dividend yielding stocks, so stocks that pay a high yield today versus stocks that are actively growing the dividend. If you are a dividend investor, I promise you, you will find tons of value in this presentation. I thought it was such great insights that I wanted to come share it out here with the YouTube channel. If you guys enjoy, all you gotta do is leave a big thumbs up. That helps subscribe. Of course, the Academy is down below if you wanna tune into these presentations live as they happen every two weeks but I hope you guys enjoy this clip. Thank you, Ian. Shout out, Ian. Now let's get into it. Um, just so you know, good morning, Cal. No work today, Cal? Or maybe it's before work. Are you in a different time zone, by the way, Ian? I sure am. Um, it's mountain time zone mm. here. So for me, it's already 9 a.m., so a little later here. Yeah. No, I, I know Cal's local. Cal's over here in our area, so we're up up and about getting the morning started. Um, I do have to run everybody uh, for something at nine o'clock my time, but Ian will be able to happily uh, finish off the presentation. Gabriel, good morning. Awesome. I feel like everyone's able to hear us perfectly fine. Nice. And good morning. Awesome. I'll monitor the chat. But with that said, yeah, because I'm, a, I'm on a bit of a time crunch, I'd be happy to kind of dive in, Ian. Kind of hand, yeah. hand it off Let's to you. Let's do it. How are, how are things first and foremost? Uh, what, anything new? Anything exciting? Um, life is good, Brandon. Thank you for asking. I'm so excited to be here today. And um, I just got back from a business trip and it's been a busy week. So I was up real late working on this presentation, but I think that everyone's going to enjoy it. It involves uh, more math uh, and more spreadsheets than um, any of the others. So we'll get into a few technical details that I think everyone's going to enjoy. But oh, Brandon, as always, appreciate the opportunity. How have you been, my friend? I've been good. I know, of course. We're, we're always blessed to have you on and speaking and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time Hi. to do this amongst your busy schedule. But no, we, we got back from Seattle. I don't know if you saw my Instagram stories, but that was a blast. So nice. the original Starbucks, I thought of you while I was there and um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fun. Then took the baby over and uh, got to go Pike place market, all, all the typical stuff, but that's so cool. But now we're back in the swing of things. Beautiful. Well, hey, let's go ahead. Uh, I know we have our disclaimer here. Yeah, uh, just real quick. I'm going to discuss a few stocks today and the stocks that I mentioned I happen to own. And so that's my disclosure. And in disclaimer, I'm not providing any investment advice. I'm just sharing my personal journey here on um, the Investing Academy for um, informational purposes uh, to, to just share with everyone out there what I'm doing in my personal life and some insights that I've learned with my dividend stock investing. Beautiful. And so I'm going to jump right into it. There was a question uh, that was posed. I was uh, speaking with Darwin. Um, he scheduled this presentation a while ago, and I was just asking him, hey, what do members of the Academy, what do they want to learn today? What are they interested in? And uh, one of the um, Academy uh, members was saying, hey, I'd love to learn more about balancing high growth dividend stocks versus those types of dividend stocks that grow a little slower, but they pay a higher dividend yield. And so there's a lot of way to segment dividend stocks stock investors. You have all different types of people. Generally speaking, though, most dividend investors are trying to drive dividends that they can use to pay for pay bills, pay for vacations, pay for uh, living expenses, eventually pay for everything so that they may even be able to retire early. But we all know that uh, dividend investors, they come from all over the world. They are all different ages. And some, some investors are just starting out with dividends in their 20s. Some might already be starting out and they might be in their 50s. They might be starting a little later. Uh, and different investors, different dividend investors, they have different goals. Uh, when do they want to retire? Uh, funny enough, the person in, in their 20s might want, to, might want to retire even sooner than the person in the 50s. The person in the 50s might be, hey, I want to work till I'm 80. You never know. Everyone's situation is different. But it's always this balancing act in my mind and in most people's minds when they're buying and constructing a portfolio. They're like, well, which types of stocks should I buy? Should I buy those stocks that pay me high dividend yield right now? 
Or should I buy the stocks that pay a really low dividend yield, but they're growing so quickly? And so I can expect these dividend increases year after year after year. And eventually they pay huge cash flow if I hold them long enough. And so all of this might sound really confusing right now, but what I'm going to do in the presentation today is I'm going to go through some Excel analysis and I'm going to share really two companies, two stocks. And these are two stocks that I own. And one of them is a really low yielder, but it's growing the dividend quickly. And one of them is considered a higher yielder, but the dividend is growing pretty slow. They're both world-class, really um, great companies in my opinion. Um, and I'm going to actually compare the two and show you at the end of the presentation kind of where that inflection point is. Um, it kind of is, I'll, I'll, I'll foreshadow, I'll share what it is. It's about 10 years. It's kind of about 10 years, at least on my analysis here, if I remember correctly, where it really, uh, the inflection point hits and you'll see that the grower starts surpassing the high yielder in leaps and bounds. And so this will be really interesting. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I own over 50 dividend stocks. So there's no one right way to construct the portfolio. My portfolio is a blend of both. I've got some stocks that are high growers, like the one I'm sharing here, the Marriott Vacations Corpor a Worldwide Corporation. And I have some that are slow growers, but pay me more yield right now. And so ultimately, I think most dividend investors, we usually end up blending the strategy. But that might make sense for me because I'm in my 40s. But I, on my channel, I have subscribers who are in their 60s and 70s. I know a lot of those investors they're going to skew more towards the high yielders because they need current cash flow now. And I also have subscribers in their 20s. And I know those folks, they tend to skew more towards the, the dividend growth stocks, the real high rate of growth, like uh, the example here. And so anyway, um, as I'm going, please do stop um, along the way, ask questions. Um, and um, I'll do my best here to, um, to check the chat window. Let me know if I'm going too fast because this will get a little more technical um, than the last few presentations that I've shared here. Um, so the first one is a company called Marriott Vacations Worldwide, VAC. Fun story. I just did a video on this um, about a week ago on my channel, and I've covered SIN stocks. Um, I've covered... Soda companies, fast food companies, big pharma, big oil, defense companies. No one ever seemed to have trouble uh, with those. But funny enough, when I posted this stock, which is a vacation ownership company, also known as Timeshares, people were like, Ian, you have gone too far. <laughs> you are sharing something that is that is too controversial. We don't we don't want to hear about it anymore. And so I never I never thought I'd get that response from something as kind of uh, in the travel industry, uh, but it was it was a funny lesson for me. So I hope I'm not um, upsetting anyone today by sharing this company. I'll tell you the reason I actually ended up researching this company and buying it is I do actually own some vacation ownership through them and, and we've been happy with, with it. But again, that's not an investment. That was a luxury purchase, kind of like buying a, a fancy car or something. It's, it's absolutely not an investment, but I guess an investment in, in our happiness, if you, if you couldn't call it that. So, but anyway, I hope I'm not being too controversial sharing it, but I wanted to share it because it's top of mind. I just bought, I, I um, initiated my position in the company yesterday. It's a boomer bust company. It tends to do really well during economic times when people have money, disposable income. It's a consumer discretionary company where they're buying a luxury item. I don't need to get into the details of the company too much because there's a world of companies like this this is meant just to be an example of a company that is a dividend growth stock. And when you see a dividend growth stock, it usually looks like this. It'll have a starting yield. You see dividend yield here of 1.64%. And when most dividend investors see that, they just dismiss it. They're like, 1.64%. One, 1. That's not enough. There's no way I can live off of that. I'd need so many millions of dollars um, in, in the stock to drive any kind of meaningful income. And they would be right if they needed to retire tomorrow. But for an investor who, say, is retiring in 20 years, 30 years, those investors might sometimes want to look at a stock like this. And that's what I'm going to share um, in the video today. But uh, just some high level stats. So when you're looking for a dividend growth company, usually the types of things you, you are looking for, or at least I'm looking for, is you're looking for probably usually as a lower starting yield, but the payout ratio is pretty reasonable. And so this company, if I take the uh, $2.48 a year that they're paying in dividends and you divide it by the 2022 EPS estimate, they're only paying out about 20 
5% or 24.9% of their earnings as dividends. So there's a good buffer there. They can grow the dividend over time. But um, one of the other things that I don't share on this screen is when I just read through the annual report, this company is growing very quickly right now. The, the revenue, even, even uh, uh, comping it versus pre-pandemic, because obviously during the pandemic, no one's selling or buying, buying vacation ownership. They couldn't leave their house. But um, even uh, comparing to pre-pandemic, it's growing very quickly. And I think they've, they've found their stride. They found a, a unique niche. This is a spinoff from the bigger Marriott, the, the Marriott, uh, the uh, company that manages all, I think, 8,000 hotels around the world. Uh, th this was spun off in 2011. And if you look at the stock chart and you kind of follow the history of the company, it's been a nice growth story, although it's had a lot of boom and bust cycles, as would be expected with a consumer discretionary uh, skewing towards luxury luxury purchases. But um, what I would also say is the, the success of the company is indicative in the five-year uh, compound annual growth rate. So CAGR, um, compound annual growth rate of the dividend on average for the last five years, they've grown it by 12%. And so they've been, they now they did have to pause the dividend um, during the pandemic, as would be expected with a company in this industry. It was just bringing next to nothing because the lifeblood of the company is actually selling vacation ownership. They weren't selling much during the pandemic. Um, now, what I would say um, about this company, the only thing that's a little different about this company than your average dividend growth, high growth, is the P.E. is a little lower. In forward P.E. price earnings ratio here is a 15 this year, next year, 12. And the reason for that is this one's priced because of its volatility, because of its risk. It's a higher risk company. You can't sugarcoat that. Selling vacation ownership um, is, like I said, boomer bust. Usually when I look for that's the only thing here that skews from their classic dividend growth story. Like if you're just out kind of scouring and looking at different stocks, what which is a good dividend growth one? Usually there's a few marks that it hits. It has the high dividend growth rate, reasonable payout ratio, earnings are growing quickly, revenue is growing quickly. There's a there's a story behind it. Um, the story with this one, for example, is all these millennials are coming of age and are actually starting to purchase this one quarter of their um, new customers are of millennial age. And uh, there's a whole story behind it that makes sense in my mind that we're going to see more and more growth. Um, the only thing that's a little different here is usually these high growers, they don't have PE ratios so low, but I think that's more indicative of just the niche that it's in. It's a little bit of a riskier niche. And so um, that's your typical, typical dividend growth stock. Just a quick snapshot, not going to get rich overnight, not really exciting um, yield right now, but I'm going to share in the rest of the presentation why this is actually exciting, especially for someone who can hold 10 or 20 years. And so on, um, I'm going to try to move the slide myself here just I'm to sure see if can. those controls yeah. are working. I, I'm oh, actually, yeah, I'm, it's working. I was going to chime in for a quick second, Ian, just before you moved on, Let's I was going to say, you know, maybe asking on behalf of the student base here, you know, when we see a, a, a compound annual growth rate of 12%, do you have a range in your, I think you froze on my screen while taking a, <laughs> okay, you're back. Oh, you're oh back. it's back. Oh, thank goodness. goodness. It, it, I had a, it paused there and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> taking a huge gulp. But um, basically the question I was going to ask is in, in your mind as, as an investor, what is that range for, let's consider a, a, a dividend grower, right? Um, here we see a 12% compound annual growth rate. Do you have a range that you would typically say, hey, well, this is high enough for me to consider this. This would be a, a regular one. I'm yeah. curious to hear. What uh, well, I, the next company I share, you'll see the dividends only growing at two and a half percent a year. And I own that one as well. Now, I bought it when it was growing a little higher at about four percent, but I'll buy the whole range. But if I'm like, say, in my 20s and let's say I'm not retiring till my 60s, I'm just saying hypothetically, if I were in that situation and I was looking for growers, typically I would look for stocks. And, and, and I'll foreshadow as well. What the numbers tell me is if you're in your 20s and you're retiring in your 60s, you got all those years for it to compound. Typically speaking, based on the past data, which can never predict the future, but the data I've looked at, the data suggests that, you know, I would probably be better off with stocks like this, dividend growers. And so when I'm looking at uh, high growth rates, I'm typically looking at stocks that are growing the dividend anywhere between 8% a year and up to say 16% a year. If I recall correctly, 
Um, Starbucks, one of my favorite stocks, which I also own. And I, I, now that I live in the suburbs, I can't get the actual real deal in the morning before these earlier presentations. So I got the at home, but yeah. um, that one's grown the dividend about 14, 14 something odd percent per year on average. Now that's going to slow down. Probably it always does. And the Home Depot, another stock I own mm. is at 16%. And so mm -hmm. usually if anything above 10%, is a really high growth and really, really feel fits that wheelhouse. Now, what I'll say about these is typically speaking, when I'm looking at these CAGRs, it's past data. It always goes down in the future. So if I'm buying something like this growing at 12%, maybe I would expect over the next five years that 12% is really going to be like 8%. It always mm -hmm. goes down over time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the risk of modeling based, based on the past data. But um I would say any dividend stock, any stock we buy, if it's yielding 12% or like the next one I'm going to show you, which is yielding two and a half percent, that dividend growth rate probably will go down over time for both. Even two, two and a half percent could go down to 2%, then one and a half percent. It can happen because companies reach a critical mass and growth rates slow. Absolutely. No, I would just echo that because yeah, in my mind, what I would consider a high growth stock would be anywhere between eight to 10% plus. Yeah. So yeah. right in that range that we talked about, um, we, we kind of see a, an average growth rate being anywhere between four to 7%. Again, yeah. it varies between companies yeah. and anything above, let's say an 8%, 8% could also still be on the higher end of a normal growth one, but definitely eight, nine, 10% plus when we start getting the double digits, that's what indicates to me, again, along with all the other things we mentioned, like payout ratios and whatnot. But uh, typically when we see a dividend, a compound annual growth rate in that range, I would consider it a, a high growth Absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. That's that's a great range. And I'll tell you, when I first started with my dividend investing, I always strive for a portfolio wide average of about 7% because I felt that was a good blend of the high growth stocks with the slower grower, higher yield, which made sense for me being more in my kind of middle ages where, where you know, 40 years old, where it, where it just makes sense that blended strategy because I'm already using cash flow to pay for certain things, but I also mm -hmm. want future growth. But I'll tell you, post pandemic, the growth rates have I've seen across the border, and I think they're slowing. And it's not only, um, pan, I think it's politically driven, economically driven, and just kind of scale driven. Um, and so I'd say that old seven percent, which maybe five years ago was kind of a good blend, it's probably down to a five or six now. Just just companies are slowing, and so I think mm -hmm. it is unfortunately something that that investors uh, probably want to prepare for. But you can always find those diamonds in the rough, like um, VAC that. Hey, maybe they'll surprise us all and just keep keep it up. You would never know. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Those are very helpful um, insights to to um, to share. And so on. The next one is Duke Energy. This one's easier to explain what it is. No controversy here. Hopefully, I didn't offend anyone. I, I'm telling you, I never thought vacation ownership would be so so controversial. But it, you know, anyway, it is what it is. Uh, Duke Energy is a regulated um, utility company that operates in the United States. And um, they basically provide, I don't even know what, what, what utility services they provide. I know it's regulated electricity. They might provide some natural gas as well. I haven't looked at it in a while. This is what's fun about being a dividend stock investor, honestly, is you can do some, I've, I've been in this thing. On, uh, well, I got into it through an acquisition. I owned a company called Progress Energy. It got acquired by Duke. I think via Progress Energy, if my memory serves me right, I've been in this since 2008. And honestly, I don't think I've really looked at it that closely since 2008. And that that's part of the magic of being a dividend investor is that when you find companies that are the best in their respective industries and you do the research and you buy something, not everyone feels comfortable this way. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but like I, sometimes I don't look at these things that closely, even for years at a time, because I'm comfortable with what I bought. But anyway, um, from a numbers perspective with, with Duke, it's honestly not a good value right now. It's been bid up quite a bit. Um, I'm not a net buyer of it here, although I think I'm reinvesting my dividends um, on this one in particular. And so, but this is characteristic in the post-pandemic market we're in right now of a quote-unquote higher yield dividend stock. Now you'll get people in the dividend community talking about 10% yields. 15% yields. In my humble opinion, for a more conservative investor or someone who just doesn't want to risk losing capital or taking on undue risk or doing kind of riskier things, those high yielders, honestly, for me, it's not worth the risk. So when I'm sharing this company today, yeah, no one is going to think 3.63% is that high of a yield. But as far as like a stable company goes, 
that has a reasonably higher yield in the market we're in now. Um, this, I would say, is it, it's a good example. I don't think anyone thinks of Duke as a company that is going to fail miserably over time, whereas some of these higher yielders like covered call ETFs, for example, I wouldn't say they would fail or anything, but they're, they carry a, a disproportionate amount of risk. Um, in, in my humble opinion. Um, I mean, there's other companies could have shared like Altria. I, the, the reason I left that one out, I actually bought more shares of it yesterday. And that's a sin stock. I guess that's more, more controversial. That one's kind of considered a higher yielder as well. That one's starting yield is in like the almost eight, I think around 8% now with their increase. They increased the dividend by 4.4% yesterday. I kind of left that one out because that's a unique um, company. It carries risk. Um, and therefore it's valued very low. And so, and it's also got those some elements of, so it's got those elements of high yield just because it's valued so low, but it's also got some growth behind it. There's a growth story there that might start to be changing. And so there's actually a third class of dividend stocks like Altria, another example is 3M that kind of combine the best of both worlds. They have a high starting dividend yield, but they also have a reasonably good dividend growth rate. I kind of left that bucket out though, because whenever you see, stocks that fit into that particular bucket, usually those stocks carry some kind of risk. Like Altria has risk that they're, they're, what the product they're selling, just uh, politicians want to regulate it out of existence. And um, 3M has significant risk on the litigation side that they have these chemicals called PFAS that um, allegedly have leaked into the environment. And that could be a major issue. And so long story short, the two, the reason I left that bucket out and I own those types of stocks, I own a lot of those stocks, but I'm trying today to really share the polarization of growth, which I just shared versus yield from the lens of stocks that are of, of a investment grade quality that are uh, carry, just don't carry the kind of risk that something like an Altria or a 3M carries. Anyway, I don't need to spend a lot of time here, but you can see with Duke, the compound annual growth rate is only two and a half percent. So you can get a stock. I would almost call this like a bond of, of sorts that um, with, with better tax treatment here in the U.S. at least, uh, qualified dividends uh, versus ordinary income. Um, I don't think anyone's going broke owning owning something like this, but I don't think anyone's getting rich overnight either. But what you will see is retirees or people who are a little further along in their career and in investing who need cash flow now, sometimes they'll gravitate towards these types of companies because they can rely upon them. And 3.6% yield is a lot better than 1.6 at VAC. And so it's a it's just a better starting point for people who are like, look, tomorrow I'm going to start drawing upon the dividends that Duke pays I'm going to use them to pay bills. Um, fun, fun side note on uh, these types of strategies, I own both. And so I strive kind of for a blended yield of my overall portfolio. It used to be about three to 3.3%. It's starting to skew lower now. I'm talking about current yield just because the valuations have been bid up. And in the environment we're in right now, yields in general are a little bit lower than they used to be, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago. And so kind of on a blended basis, what some investors do is they'll buy both. They'll buy VAC, they'll buy Duke or similar types of companies. And you can average out those yields to kind of bring up the, the overall average portfolio yield. Anyway, this is my example here of a like a more conservative, higher yielder, very safe dividend stock. And I want to um, compare the two in what could happen over time for an investor who invests money in these types of stocks uh, today. And so I don't see a lot of activity in the chat window. So I'm, I hope that that means that in general, people are following this, which, which is good. Uh, so, so, but please, please do speak up if something uh, unfortunately doesn't make sense. So I'm going to go through two types of metrics today that are fundamental. The two most important metrics actually for dividend investors, in my opinion, I'm going to go through simple yield on cost, and I'm going to go through a true yield on cost. I'm going to start with simple yield on cost first. What simple yield on cost means is uh, I'll just use the example here of, of VAC, the Marriott Vacation Worldwide Company. If I put $1,000 in there, how, and I don't reinvest my dividends, I just take it uh, and put, put those dividends in my pocket, go out, spend it on something, uh, maybe a nice dinner or clothing or, or even paying a utility bill. Um, the simple yield on cost model shows me how much cash flow I'm going to get. 
um, each year. And what I'm assuming for this model is that they'll continue the 12.1% dividend compound annual growth rate. I actually think for this company, that's probably possible um, because it's only got a payout ratio of 25%. But over long, long periods of time, that'll definitely dip. I'm assuming just, hey, let's invest $1,000 hypothetically. And I'm assuming over time, the stock will grow. Stock will probably grow about 11% per year. Um, maybe it won't quite keep up with the dividend because the payout ratio will keep notching up higher um, over time. Eventually, that payout ratio will reach 50% and uh, companies' growth will slow. But these are just a few, few metrics I thought would make sense. And I just look over the course of 20 years, what's going to happen with the stock price? Well, the way, the way I came up with that's easy. I just assume that it increases about 11% per year versus the prior year. Obviously, stock price probably wouldn't ever get to $1,000. They'd probably uh, split it by then um, to just keep the price lower. But then net effect is the same. The dividend, I'm growing it by 12.1%. Uh, so I start with the current. And these are annual dividend, not quarterly. Oh, it's paid quarterly, but I'm just annualizing it here for the uh, purposes of simplicity. I'm just growing it by 12.1% per year on average, um, as, as I have highlighted in yellow at the top. And so the current dividend yield is an easy metric to um, uh, craft. It's just the dividend divided by the stock price. And so you can see the dividend yield over time. It's always uh, for the next 20 years, we'll say it's going to be between 1.6 and it steadily grows up to almost 2% um, over time. And I have a, a um, value here of what's the money worth that, that was hypothetically invested. Well, we, we bought 6.62 shares because that's all that $1,000 buys now. When, 1,000 divided by 151 gets 6.62 shares. The share count never grows because we're not reinvesting dividends. We're just buying those shares and each year we take the dividends and spend it. And so, but still the value of the investment grows because the share value goes up. And so eventually, it, you know, it's, uh, it's $1,000 after 20 years is worth 7,000. Not bad, honestly, not bad at all. Um, that's why long-term investing is so powerful when you start looking in the decades. Now, here's the dividend cash flows, the next column. How do I calculate that? I just take the dividend from that year um, and I multiply it by the number of shares. And you can see it goes up over time. The reason it goes up over time is because they're increasing the dividend each year. That's the power of dividend investing. You get an automatic raise. I mean, when's the, the last time, I'm sure some folks uh, out of the group today get, you know, um, maybe 12% raises at work each year, but, uh, or maybe once in a while, but most people, you know, in society, it's, it's very rare to get a 12% raise every year, but um, being a dividend investor, you can do that. It's like getting a pay raise at work. So what is simple yield on cost? It's literally the dividend cash flow divided by how much was invested. And the purpose of the yield on cost is to, it gives an idea of how productive the actual capital deployed is for you as an investor over long periods of time. And so you can see with a stock like VAC in the first year, hey, I'm only getting 1.64% or $16. That's really not going to pay for much. But if this investor has a lot of time on their side and they hold it for 20 years, after 20 years, it's starting to look better. It's like, hey, I'm getting $143 every year now for the $1,000 invested or 14% yield on cost. And so yield on cost is kind of the holy grail of dividend stock investing, in my opinion. And I personally, the best yield on cost, simple yield on cost that I have right now is on Altria. I bought back in 2009. And I'm yielding 23.5% simple yield on cost on my initial purchase uh, right now because I've held it so long and they've increased the dividend. Uh, obviously, that stock carries a lot of risk, um, but uh, that's why I didn't share it. But um, they just increased the dividend by about 4.5% yesterday. They were forecasted to grow up by 8%. That's why I'm saying growth rates I'm seeing across the board are, are actually starting to slow. Maybe these companies are bracing themselves for this upcoming recession that everyone expects. But um, let me know in the chat if you guys, if it's not making sense or if it's confusing um, when I'm talking about a simple yield on cost. Um, but that, that's that. It's, it's pretty easy to calculate. That's what it looks like for VAC. I want to look next just quickly at Duke. I'm not going to spend as much time on Duke because uh, you understand now how, these, um, how the simple yield on cost model works. But what I'm going to do after this particular model is I want to get into the true yield on cost, what it looks like when we actually reinvest dividends. But with um, Duke, you can see here, um, I'm assuming a 2.5% uh, compound annual growth rate of the dividend. That's what it's been the last five years, pretty low. Um, I'm assuming the stock grows a little quicker than that. Maybe it grows by um, uh, uh, 
Oh yeah, Daniela is saying so far so good and uh, Gabriel, all good, very well explained. Really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for, for letting me know. Um, this one, I just put in some assumptions, but again, I think the stock will grow probably slower than the overall market at this point because it's highly valued, it's stable, but it will have some growth because investors will always flee to this type of security, especially older investors. And if you look at demographics in society right now, um, one of the biggest demographics is these uh, senior, these people who are aging into being senior citizens, the people, the boomers, so-called baby boomer generation. They're, they're a huge subsegment of population and um, they're starting to retire. And what I foreshadow is a lot of those investors will still have demand for companies like this for just, just the steady yield, the safe, relatively safe, steady yields that they provide. Um, but again, same $1,000 invested. And you can see here, yeah, in year one, this is a much better bet because my $1,000 invested, it's already getting me $36 in cash flow that I can use every single year to pay for stuff. And um, imagine if you have a lot of money to deploy, that $36 could become a lot more than that if you put in many thousands or even um, you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of dollars into something like this. It's good yield and it's, and it's um, sleep. I like to say sleep well at night. It's the kind of yield where I don't think I'd lose any sleep over putting a bunch of money in Duke and, and living off of it right now um, or stocks like Duke. Um, obviously it's always good to diversify, but you can see over time because the dividend is growing pretty slowly that 3.6% after 20 years, it only gets up to 5.81. And so right here, actually, you can see, we looked at VAC, we're looking at Duke for an investor who has 20 years or more on their side and an investor who, and imagine what this would look like if I compounded out 30 years, um, Someone who has more time on their side, you can already start seeing the 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 um, the conclusion to the analysis is that generally the growers are better if you don't need cash flow now. But for people who need cash flow right now, you can clearly see in these first five, 10 years that boy, there's a lot more cash flow coming through with Duke. What I'd also point out is there's always less risk with something like this too, because with VAC, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that was a controversial topic on a, on a YouTube channel where people embrace uh, sin stocks, big pharma and, and fast food. Imagine like what happens if there's some scandal out there or something in, in society. I mean, we talked about Starbucks. It's very controversial right now. I own Starbucks. It's my second biggest position. But we, um, uh, we know out in the media with the unionization, um, there's a lot of talk about that company right now. And so uh, sometimes with the growers, I have to admit there is there is always inherently more risk. And it makes sense if you've ever worked at a company like a startup that's growing quickly. It's always a more risky job than if you just take kind of the boring a steady eddy job at a big company, it might be a little more boring, but that income is always more, more stable, that job income. It, it, so it seems, at least that's been my experience working. And so I should point that out, whereas these growers look better over 20 years, of course, they, they have more, a little more risk or maybe a lot more risk in some cases. But I would also say a well-diversified portfolio can mitigate the risk and time mitigates risk too. Uh, and so anyway, those are the, um, the, the two examples. I want to go into... This is where it gets really interesting. Uh, let me just take a pause here, get a little. little if, you guys have any, if you guys have any questions, yeah, yeah. don't feel shy. Like yeah, this, this, this is a lot of a lot of info, and I'm sure there's some questions lurking about. I don't know. You have had a very quiet chat today, but <laughs> but this is this is awesome, me, and I'm I'm thank I'm you very very well. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. And here's the deal: there's a lot going on here. Um, if you have questions after the fact, please reach out to um, someone at the Investing Academy like Brandon or Darwin or other team members. They could come and get answers from me um, or just reach out to me if, the, if you find me on social media or whatnot. But I'm happy to, uh, to you know, you might have to think about this stuff. Um, that's how I am um, a lot of the time is, um, is sleep on it and it kind of sinks in. But anyway, with uh, the, this one is the true yield on cost. And what true yield on cost is... And it especially makes sense with something like VAC because the kinds of investors who are buying VAC, the, or the kinds of investors that aren't really looking to derive a lot of cash flow from it for a while, it could take decades. And um, the types of investors who buy VAC are typically the types of investors who are comfortable reinvesting the dividend. They don't need the cash flow now. So when the dividends come out, they just get reinvested back into shares of the company. Most major brokers here in the U.S. offer free dividend reinvestment. You can just go into your brokerage, um, 
you can select a little box and check reinvest dividends. And so when the dividend gets paid out, it goes uh, for free, no commission to buy more shares of the same company. Now, there's a whole thing called selective reinvestment as well, which some dividend investors do is they take all their dividends as cash, but then they selectively decide they pool the money. Maybe they don't have a broker with commission-free reinvestment. They'll pool it up a bit, wait till they have, say, $500 or $1,000 of dividends, which is a big enough amount to invest without worrying too much about commissions. And then they can just put it in, in a stock that they feel is a reasonable value at that time. So some investors do that. For me, I do a little bit of both. I, I mostly reinvest just back into the company that paid it. I don't like to penalize a winner. I will even reinvest when it's kind of quote unquote under overvalued because I don't I don't want to penalize my best performing stocks because an overvalued stock can continue to be overvalued in perpetuity because of its quality. Um, and and um, I'm trying to think of an example of that. The best example I have of that is PepsiCo. PepsiCo rarely goes on sale. It's always trading at a premium because of the quality. I just bought more PepsiCo um, recently and I'll continue to buy more even though it's trading at a ridiculous valuation, well, not ridiculous, but overvalued valuation because it's of a, uh, just such a, such a supreme quality. Anyway, um, this is just reinvesting back into VAC. So let's do this. Year one, um, the dividend is $2.48 per share. It's the same 6.62 shares. You'll remember in the last model, we always had 6.62 shares because we never reinvested. Here you can see the shares go up over time. I go from 6.62, but after 20 years, my $1,000 investment turned into 9.28 shares because I've been reinvesting dividends. But I'll share how I got to these calculations. Um, so we've got, I'll just do again, we have the year, the stock price, dividend, these are current yield, starting value. These are actually all the same metrics you've already seen in the last, um, last slide. Starting shares, same, but I call it starting shares now because the starting shares, it changes each year. Uh, you'll see why. In the first year, we get $16 of dividend income. Well, what I am doing with the dividend income is I'm reinvesting it. So how many new shares does $16 buy me? It buys me 0.11 shares. And each year I actually bump up the stock price. One of the things that a lot of analysts get wrong with these types of models is they assume the stock price is the same over time. The reason I grow the stock price over time at 11% is to be a little more conservative in my modeling because... If I just kept it at $150, but I know the dividend keeps growing each year, I'll be buying a disproportionate more, more shares in future years. But that's not really true in reality because we all know over time that stock prices go up. So even though the dividend is going up, the stock price is also going up. And so when I get more and more dividend cash flow each year um, per share, yeah, it's buying me more because I have the dividend growing a little faster than the stock. But still, we have to be mindful that stock prices do go up over time. And so because the stock prices go up over time, the reinvestment, it gets you less, a little less for your money each year. Um, anyway, in the first year, I get 0.11 new shares because I took the $16 to buy more shares. So ending shares at the end of the first year is uh, 6.73. And the ending shares for the first year becomes the starting shares for the second year. So you can see starting shares in the second year is 6.73. Um, the ending value at the, I, I value my, at the end of the first year, I'm kind of valuing, well, what's the investment worth? It's worth 6.73 times the share price for the first year. I'm just assuming the net average share price in the first year is whatever the share price is now, which is 151 and eight cents. Um, true yield on cost in the first year is just whatever the start, the current yield is. It's this 1.6, 1.64%. Um, anyway, I'm going to go down to the second year. In the second year, the starting value, I'm now taking my 6.73 shares and I'm multiplying it by the new share price because we know in the second year, stocks generally over time go up in value. And so we know in the second year that the stock price, well, it's appreciated by 11%. Now we know this model is simple, oversimplifying things. Some years, the stock price will be down uh, in a highly cyclical business like this, like during the pandemic, it was down at $50. Now it's trading at $150. It's, it's tripled in price um, since the depths of the pandemic. Um, but we know that I, I'm just kind of averaging things out here. But you, you all know in real life, it's not going to look like a clean linear progression. It's going to have a lot of peaks and valleys. And a lot of times when it's really scary, uh, where it gets really bad. And that's when I like to take some extra money and invest it. But here I'm just assuming I'm not even doing that. I'm just putting in $1,000, one and done. That's it. Uh, but in the second year, we know that the starting value is a little higher because I take my 6.73 and I'm multiplying it by uh, the current stock price, which I'm estimating at 167.
We know in the second year, we're getting more dividend cash flow. The, the cash flow we're getting is my starting shares for the year, which is 6.73. And I'm multiplying it by 2.78, which is the dividends that year. And the dividends that year are higher because they increase the dividend. This is kind of what's called people you might hear and refer to the dividend snowball. What's different here is I have more, not only has the dividend gone up, but I have more shares. So why is the cash flow so much uh, getting so much better each year and compounding so well? It's compounding because these guys increase the dividend. Um, I'm estimating by 12.1%, but also I have more shares. I took the dividend from last year to buy more shares. So instead of having 6.62 shares, I have 6.73. And so my cash flow in the second year is $18.70. And again, that buys me 0.11 shares. Uh, I mean, I'm rounding here. It's it's uh, it'll look different if we pull out the decimals, but um, that bu that buys me more shares. And so at the end of the second year, I have 6.84 shares um, and ending value 1146. Um, now, anyway, I'm not going to go through every row here, but I hope this kind of generally makes sense. If it doesn't, again, reach out after the presentation. Um, we, we can walk through it in, in more depth uh, or please put in the comments if this doesn't make sense, I can go through more more uh, rows and we'll have some chance to do this on, on the Southern slide as well, or on the Duke, sorry, it's not Southern, Duke. Uh, Southern is another electric uh, regulated utility I own. Uh, but um, the, the, the key thing here is that you aren't just benefiting from dividend increases, you're benefiting also from the reinvestment. Now there's a third pillar of dividend investing that's not shared here that would make the model too complex and that's net new capital. How investors really flourish over time is in addition to investing this initial thousand dollars, they'll be patient, they'll wait. And when a buying opportunity presents itself, um, like during the pandemic, they take extra money and put even more money into the investment. And so then all of a sudden you've got dividend increases, you've got reinvestment, you've got net new capital, you have all three pillars working and over 20 years that can add up to a lot of cash flow. Personally, I like to buy when stocks go on sale like during the pandemic, but also I don't like waiting um, and I find I'm not that great at timing the market. So for me, I just kind of average in, I'll, I'll buy stocks, um, these days on a weekly basis, I'm buying different stocks. And yesterday I had some fun. I bought three stocks, but it was a little bit of a bigger day yesterday than a, than a normal trading day for me. So anyway, though, the conclusion here is the true yield on cost. You'll remember after 20 years on simple yield on cost, it gets to like a 14% yield on cost. But with reinvestment, with that extra pillar of the dividend snowball, the true yield on cost after 20 years gets to 20%. And this is like kind of my mark of success. If I can ever get to either a simple or true yield on cost at or over 20%, that is a, the mark of success to me. And put another way, once you kind of reach 20%, what that means is every five years that pass, the cash flow that's coming to you in the form of cash dividends from the company after five years of time, it's enough to repay the initial investment. And so once you get to numbers like 20%, 25%, it starts becoming very meaningful. But this is why dividend investing is get rich slowly. It takes, as you can see on this model, about 20 years. Some people do it quicker by being really frugal, um, to doing geo arbitrage, moving to somewhere cheaper, uh, really minimizing their expenses. Unfortunately, that's not me. We did a little geo arbitrage and it, it helped us uh, get the bigger home that we needed. But did it save us a ton of money? Not really. Uh, but we got, finally got into a bigger house because of geo arbitrage, which in the Bay Area would have been a lot more money. And so, but anyways, there's different ways of approaching it. I go more for a fat fire. That's what they call it. Financial independence, retire early. Some people go for more lean fire. And so maybe it won't take them 20, 30, 30 plus years. But for me, I'm, I'm definitely on the 20 year plan. And uh, on, on a stock like this, quite frankly, I'm buying it now in my forties. The true benefit from this, I don't even know it's as much for me as it is for, for my kids for the future. But, you know, I'll still be in my 60s and people are living really late these, these days. Hopefully I'll live to, to be 100 or more and, and get a lot of value from this cash flow. But 
Um, anyway, you can see the miracle there. And the hardest thing about dividend investing, it's having to wait 20 years and it's having to wait through maybe some jobs you don't like. Maybe there's some hard years in there as things you wanted to buy, but you can't afford to buy because you're making a conscious decision to take the same money and invest it for your future. Um, it, it's a hard waiting game. It, it takes time. There's no kind of shortcuts. Some people try to find shortcuts by uh, going to these quote unquote high yielders, but you can lose money that way. I have. Uh, I've made every mistake in the book. I've made a ton of mistakes. Um, I, I, a lot of people have seen them. Even in recent years, I've made mistakes. I shared on YouTube. Uh, that's one of the reasons I share my journey. There's no perfect investor. Anyway, I want to keep going. There's a lot to cover. So next slide is uh, Duke. This one is the Duke true yield on cost. And you can see, um, same thing as the last slide, the shares go up over time. Um, why do they go up? Because we're purchasing new shares with the dividends each year. First year, we're buying 0.33 shares with the $36 of cash flow that comes through. Um, and you can see uh, this, uh, even though the dividend um, growth is slow, uh, there's a lot of cash flow coming through in those early years. So even reinvesting with a company like this, it can provide some nice, true uh, total yield on cost. After 20 years, it gets to 10%. I wouldn't say 10% is that exciting after 20 years, but it's not bad for someone who really wants some buffer in their early days. I'll tell you, why do I own something like this if I don't even plan on retiring? Well, unexpected expenses can come up in life. Um, that's, that's one, uh, two, uh, what, what if, uh, something happens with my job? One of the things I shared on my YouTube, one of the things that was one of the most difficult experiences in my life is, uh, back, uh, in one of my prior jobs, I, I, uh, went through a layoff. I, I was let go, uh, during a, during a massive layoff. It was traumatizing and scary. Thankfully I landed on my feet and I got a new job pretty quickly, but I, you know, maybe I, what if I wasn't so lucky? Um, these are real world things, no matter how good you are at your job, when times get tough and there's a layoff, um, they don't really look always at who's who's the best performer or anything. They kind of look who do they like the most. Um, so uh, tip to all of you, if you work at a company, it's good to play that political game and just try to be friendly with everyone. Because if you're on anyone's bad side, boy, in the layoff, they're going to they're going to take advantage of that and, and let you go. Um, I've learned all these lessons the hard way, but um, also they'll look at like who's paid the most. And so you may be so good at your job that you get paid the highest at the company, but during a layoff, they're like, well, we don't want to pay that high salary. And so um, you're gone. And so anyways, the beauty of something like this, even for someone who doesn't want to use the cash flow now, it gives options, options in life. I'll tell you the third and I guess happier way to look at something like this is I'm starting to use more dividend income now just to travel. Um, our, our family, we're spending a little more money on travel now than we, we ever have before. And it's just, we're trying to bring some of those retirement-like experiences forward and enjoy life now. I think we're not the first one to come up with this idea. It seems like everyone's doing this now because we just got out of this pandemic where we were locked up at home so long and fearful of, of catching uh, you know the, the, the COVID. And, and so, um, everyone's or a lot of people are trying to travel now, but we're um, having a stock like this, even for someone who doesn't plan to really retire anytime soon can give options and can give a little cash flow for just kind of pulling some of that financial freedom forward. That's a strategy I, I actually think is important to dividend investors is not just to wait for the finish line, but to start enjoying some of the dividends along the way, because otherwise the journey can feel like, like it's never going to end. And maybe even, an investor might not make it through the 20 years by just uh, not enjoying anything along the way. Um, so stocks like this play a role. And even with something like Duke, you can turn re reinvestment on and off. So let's say, oh my goodness, all of a sudden an unexpected expense came up. Well, turn the reinvestment off, start taking that cash flow as it comes in quarterly to pay for stuff. And so I love dividend investing because it gives those types of options. And I, like I said, I have a blend of these two. But what I want to share on the next, oh, before I do that, you can see the, what's so underrated here as well is the ending value of this investment is $4,489.71. This is after um, 10, uh, 20 years. And so the other thing is I'm only talking about cash flow today, but it's important to realize that the benefit of this type of investing also is uh, stocks uh, tend to appreciate over time. And when you're reinvesting dividends, 
it buys more shares that are appreciating over time. And then those shares go and they buy more shares. And that's why it compounds um, over time. It's so exciting that the, the, you just keep getting more and more shares. Um, but anyway, um, there is a component here of capital appreciation. There is a component of value creation in addition to cash flow creation. And I think that's, that's you know, in a worst, worst case, let's say you're in your retirement and you really don't want to sell your dividend stocks. No one does. But if you have to sell it to live, you, you have that option. And so there's there's cap. There's just value, equity value that is meaningful here as well. Um, I'll give you actually one thought before I get to the next one, because it looks like I'm actually running a little uh, better on schedule this time than in the past, surprisingly. Um, one thing I've started doing recently, meaning in the last year, year and a half, um, that I haven't been doing before as much is I have been kind of doubling down on my retirement accounts on my um, just kind of real safe uh, investments. I actually bought savings bonds, the I bond, which is indexed to inflation. Those types of investments, they're not very exciting, but when I reach retirement, if I have to sell something, I don't mind selling a savings bond. I don't mind liquidating an entire 401k or now I have an SEP IRA, which is a retirement account that um, small business owners are allowed to, to have. I, I own my own uh, small business. And so the um, fact is what I'm starting to realize, and this is kind of something I shared at the beginning of the presentation with Brandon, I'm starting to see dividend growth rates slow down a bit across the board. And I, I'm starting to think, it may be an inflection point in our economic system. I don't know if the high growth rates of the past few decades, what's gonna, what it's going to look like in the future. I think there'll always be these outliers like VAC, which is just on a growth trajectory. I actually think they probably will keep it up over time. But I'm saying portfolio-wide, I wouldn't be surprised just for the average dividend investor if dividend growth rates slow over time. And when the dividend growth rates slow, these models don't look really as good as they did today. They don't look nearly as good. So I start thinking, well, when retirement age comes, the worst thing I can do is sell my dividend stocks because the whole reason I'm building this is not only for myself, but I want to pass it on to my kids and I want it to live on over time. And that's, you know, the, the biggest ally an investor has is time. I mean, imagine what this looks like, um, say, 70 years from now. You know, it's going to be um, insane. Uh, some of the stocks will go out of business, but the ones that are still around will, will more than make up for that. And so, but what I'm starting to think is in my lifetime, because dividend growth rates are slowing a bit and that kind of skews the model, the model doesn't work as well. I'm starting to also prioritize retirement accounts more than I ever did before, because when I'm in retirement, I look at them as a stopgap measure. If the ends don't quite meet or to and I'm, I'm saying to my liking, like when I'm retired, I want to travel a lot and do a lot of fun things that cost a lot of money. And so I'm thinking, well, why not put money in something like a IRA? Because when retirement comes, if, if there's kind of options, maybe I just live off of that IRA by spending the principal, spending the equity for, say, five years, 10 years. Don't even touch the dividends. Let it all compound and reinvest. Oh, the dividends then will get that much bigger. It'll get another 10 years of compounding even when I'm in retirement. Imagine what another 10 years could do. And so even at lower growth rates. Uh, another option is just to look, well, I start living off of dividends, but if they, the ends don't quite meet, I can use use the IRA, some of the, the, the proceeds just to pay for stuff to kind of make it all work. But that's something I'm starting to think about that I think is an important component to this conversation because dividend growth rates, I, I'm just seeing they're slowing a little bit. So let's go to the next slide. This is really the most important slide. This is the true yield on cost for VAC versus Duke. And it shows you, I highlight in yellow to show where that inflection point is. Let's say there's an investor here um, right now who expects to live another 10 years. And the goal for their portfolio is to never spend any principal, any capital, just to live off of dividends. Well, generally speaking, that investor will gravitate towards Duke because you can see over the next 10, 11 years, the Duke true yield on cost is always going to be higher than VAC. But here's actually that's a little it's a little misleading because that very same person 
if they're living off of the dividends, they won't get the true yield on cost because the true yield on cost is assuming we're reinvesting dividends. So maybe it would bump this timeline even shorter. But long story short, directionally speaking, what you see is these kind of higher yielders or slower growers, they'll, they'll do better in the short run. But when you look out to the long run, like 20 years out, you can see that VAC does twice as good on a true yield on cost as Duke. And if you extrapolate this out, say 30 years or 40 years, the, the polarization gets even more. And so I like to look at this chart because it gives a helpful direction. Just what am I looking for right now? Like with any stock I'm picking, I'm, I'm always buying new stocks. I can't help myself. That's one of the, the challenges I have. I own over 50 stocks and I keep, I, I found yet another one I want to buy. And so it's just really so many good companies. But when I'm looking at any stock, I have to think, what am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to achieve high yield now? Am I trying to achieve dividend growth? Any month, what I'm looking for can change. It depends on my mood. Um, uh, sometimes I'm thinking about the future and I'm like, boy, I want, I want that growth. Sometimes I'm just thinking about now. If I have a bad week at work and I'm like, I can't even take this for another year. I want to retire now. Then I'll start skewing towards things like Duke or even Altria. Uh, I, I bought some Altria yesterday. Uh, I, I just skew towards that. And oftentimes it's a combination of all three. On any given day, I'm in a different mood and I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about how, how uh, I, want, I want the income now. And I just use this kind of framework at least to, to decide. Maybe some people have, are uh, watching are either really young or older. It's probably an easier decision because you're gonna fall in any of these two buckets. I'm kind of more in the middle, so I'm always balancing between the two buckets, the growth versus the current yield. Uh, I think being in your 40s is a little more difficult because you're thinking about the present, but you're also thinking about the future. So anyway, I think that's all the slides I have uh, for today. Um, do you all have uh, questions that um, you wanna go through? I just want to chime in and say thank you for the phenomenal presentation, Ian. That was, geez, you know, we, we talk about these concepts so much within the academy and the various courses. Yeah. And it's, you know, we haven't actually gone this in depth uh, in the analysis. Like we know conceptually why this or that, but to be able to see it um, broken down with this level of analysis really helps punch that, that point home. And I, thank I you. Want to I want to say thank you for that. And I'm very proud of you. You, you made it on time today. In, uh, this, uh... Yeah, yeah. I can't even believe it. Well, and I hope there's no mistakes in the model. The only, the only disclaimer I'll say is I was working on this late at night and I did my best um, to, to spot check it. But yeah, uh, please write into Brandon if you find any mistakes. But I, I hope it's I hope it's accurate. I did my best. <laughs> it was it was phenomenal. And um, yeah, I, I see a super clear explanation. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Gabriel, thanks a lot. Great presentation. I totally agree there. And like I said, I, I did have to run because I have a breakfast yeah. meeting. But I, you know, I'm glad that I was able to make it all the way through because nice. I, very much, I very much enjoyed that. From start to finish, Ian, that was, again, thank you so much for taking the time to of course. Spend, the, spend the morning with us and prepare this. That was great. Is there any questions? Um, here's Anne says, this has been fantastic. Even more than learning on stocks, you provide such in-depth analysis on your lifestyle choices. You thank know, you. let me echo that. One of the things that I really appreciate with you, Ian, so much is that beyond just the actual stock information, you, you tie in so many real life experiences that you've been through as to why what we're talking about is important. And it's one thing, you know, for someone like myself in my twenties who maybe can't speak on all of these different things, right? I can understand the stock side of things, but to be able to tie in and share and, and your willingness to share your experiences, whether it's a layoff or whether it's a move with your family, I mean, not everyone's willing to do that. And, you know, in our academy, we have people of all different age ranges who can resonate with different things you're saying and, for you to be willing to share your experience time and time again, that, that means so much to me. And clearly the, uh, the students here are, seem very appreciative. Jones says clear, concise. My head is full. Thank you. Yeah, hey. yeah. <laughs> Alex says any way you can share the Excel files. That's something you'd be willing to send along. Uh, Ian. Yeah, I could work on that, Brandon. Um, I I'd want to just audit it one more time to make sure there's no mistakes in there, but I'm, yeah, I'm happy to um, send it over to you. I can reach out um, uh, after the presentation and, and find a way to get that over to you. 
that would be ideal. Don't stress too hard about it. I think they understand that it's um for like you said, it's more explanation, um, yeah. conceptual stuff. So I don't want you working much harder than you already have. But um, yeah, we can touch base after. Okay. And, um, what we'll do, Alex, is maybe we'll be able to send that in the Discord. Um, I'll find a place to kind of put that in, or I'll have Darwin do it. I know Darwin's on vacation, but um, yeah, that 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 sounds phenomenal. We'll get that done. And Kel says, "Thank you for the life experience. It's so true." Yeah, thank you for your kind words, everyone. It's always an honor to be here, and um, it's always a bright uh, part of my uh, week to be able to um, to share these experiences and and just connect with um, all of you amazing people. And uh, hopefully, one day, um, maybe maybe I'll join one of your meetups, Brandon, in person. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. We have to do that. We sure do. Well, um, I do have to run, guys. Thank you so much for spending the morning with us. Thank you again, Ian. What I will is I'll sign off here. I'll follow up with you afterwards, Ian, on that Excel yep. spreadsheet. And I'm um, looking forward to the next presentation. And says a huge thanks to Darwin for getting this all set up. Yeah, Darwin, it's crazy. Darwin's on. Darwin's in Mexico right now. He's in, he's in uh, Cancun. And I said, I texted him this morning. I said, Darwin, are we ready for the presentation? Because he gets everything done here. And he's the one that facilitates all of this. And uh, he was up at 6 a.m. on their Wi-Fi. And he said, join here, join here, join here. So Darwin does amazing work. Darwin, it, it's and I'll echo that, Brandon. It's a real blessing. I, I wouldn't have been able to do this without Darwin. I literally emailed these slides late at night. And I told him it was going to come in late. And he's like, no problem. And so he's taking time out of his vacation. It, it's a real blessing. Like it, it, This would absolutely not be possible without Darwin. So true. Well, hey, guys, I got to run. Um, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next presentation. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. See ya.